And it's funny that you come up to the timing part is a huge part, I think, of my recovery, because as you said, most patients from diagnosis, some people only have, what, two days sometimes before they've got a surgery or they start chemotherapy or radiotherapy. And um, again, I was so lucky. So after my second seizure, that's when I was diagnosed. That's the CT scan found the tumor. And then it was only because I went for a second opinion um, from a private doctor, a surgeon, and he said, you know, you can, because a public hospital has said, you know, it's such a big tumor, you haven't got any other symptoms apart from these two seizures, you're probably fine to go back to Paris, go back for, to work for three months, come back at Christmas to Hong Kong, and then we'll do a biopsy at that point. And then my family and I were like, mm, not sure we like the idea of me walking around and flying with a tumor the size of a grapefruit in my brain. Uh Wow. Um, wow. That big, yet they wanted to like oh, keep it in there and just biopsy it and just in December. So we're talking, this was September when I was diagnosed. And then the private surgeon who said, you know, better to, I'd recommend you to have it removed as soon as possible. And so we agreed on that. But luckily, as soon as possible for him was only six weeks later because he was traveling for a month. And I said, well, he was flying to the US. And I said, well, can we do it six weeks later? So you've got two weeks to get over your jet lag. So I don't really want you going. <laughs> My brain was feeling slightly tired. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> Fabulous. Yeah. So I was so fortunate. So I had six weeks from diagnosis before my surgery even. And I had immediately Googled functional medicine practitioner Hong Kong. I was so lucky that the first clinic that came up was a clinic where I saw my nutritionist. Hello, and welcome to Cancer Talks podcast. My name is Deb McLeod, and I appreciate your joining me along with nutritional therapists and colleagues, Linda Sims and Andrea Burton. Today, we are delighted to say that we have Jilly Bertram joining us. Julie is a registered nutritional therapist, a functional medicine practitioner, an integrative health coach, and she also had brain cancer. Julie's story is not only inspiring, it's encouraging. So I hope you enjoy the conversation we had with her as much as we did. Julie. Thank you so much for joining us today on our Cancer Talks podcast. It is lovely to have you here with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. We are too. And we are here to really talk about your journey, your journey with cancer, what you are doing now, how you help people, and a variety of things. You, you are very active and you're a very busy woman. So I think that the conversation is going to flow organically amongst questions that that we all have. And I'm sure you may have some questions for us. I don't know. But are you happy to give us a little bit of history about yourself? Is that okay? And Linda and Andrea, are you happy with that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Great. And is, does that sound okay to you? Yeah, too? perfect. Okay. All right. Yeah. So my story starts in, well, yeah, a bit tricky. It starts in 2015. That's when I was diagnosed with um, a grade three brain tumor. Um, and I underwent um, surgery to remove the tumor and standard of care, which is 
um, six weeks of concurrent chemotherapy and radiotherapy, followed by six cycles of oral chemotherapy. Um, but in my mind, the real story started four years before that, and that's when my interest in cancer started. Right. Completely out of the blue, because I didn't really know anyone that had cancer. So my interest for it purely came from, it was by real chance that a friend had given me a book um, called Anti-Cancer, A New Way of Life. And um, both of us were trying to change our lives. You know, I was in my early 20s when I met this friend and we were, you know, partying a lot, <laughs> drinking a lot, you know, taking drugs. I shouldn't say that, but, um, you know, typical things a 20-year-old does, having a yeah. really amazing time. And I was living in Paris at the time. So I was just, you know, a dream come true, working in the fashion industry. It was, I thought I, my life was made. Wow. Um, but my friend was going through an autoimmune condition, um, having regular flare-ups, and obviously the lifestyle that we were living didn't help that at all. And then we kind of discovered together how natural therapies and lifestyle change can really make a difference. Um, and we were both really into it. And then he came across this book and then he gifted it to me. Um, and that book just changed my life. I don't know if any of you have read it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's still quite book. current. You know, I reread it recently and I think there's only one thing that I would, you know, change now with modern research and that's literally just on agave sugar agave mm -hmm. syrup that i wouldn't you know that i don't think that would be in there was my exact thought right <laughs> it's pretty much the only thing i can really critique now with my knowledge now but um anyway just to go back um so that book changed my life and i just remember finishing it and thinking oh my god i don't need to be scared of cancer anymore like i know what i'll need to do if i ever get it and at that point you know i just like everyone else, I think, you never think it's going to happen to you. It's mm -hmm. always going to be someone else, you know. And at that point, you know, I was doing a lot of things that, you know, could have meant I would get it, you know, as a chain smoker, um, really poor dietary habits, you know, one of those Starbucks drinkers, <laughs> you know, just add addicted to them. You know, I, I look back and I'm just like, wow. I mean, just crazy amounts of things that, you know, I can see how my journey came along basically. But anyway, so that started my interest in cancer. So this is 2011. And I just, just after that book, I just started researching everything I could about what he talks about. So all the different natural compounds that you can just buy in your local supermarket, um, you know, herbs, spices, all of that kind of thing. And I just kind of became completely obsessed by it and started preaching to everyone and anyone I knew and still at this point, I didn't know anyone who had cancer. So it was just like really boring people around <laughs> me um, telling them all this information, which is really unrelated to, you know, our lives. But anyway, that, you know, that just made me realize that, God, this is the first thing that I really feel passionate about. Because I, you know, I started my job in the fashion industry and that was great, but it was quite soul destroying and really took a lot of energy working with young models who you know, took a lot of the hours and effort you put into creating their careers. Um, they took a lot of that for granted. So it was really tiring work and it was full on 24 seven. You had to be on it, you know, ready to get models through immigration if there were issues, you know, time zone differences. So it was 
really a taxing job. Anyway, again, all part of my journey to get to the point where I am now. So became a bit obsessed with everything to do with all these anti-cancer compounds and natural therapies. And I wanted to change my career, but I was, you know, kind of stuck in this comfort zone. And um, it was just, you know, I thought I had such a great life. So I didn't make that push that I wish I kind of had sooner rather than later. And actually for me, cancer, my cancer diagnosis was that wake up call um, to be like, this is your chance, Jilly, to change your life, change direction, do something that you're really passionate about. Um, so in that sense, you know, I'm so grateful for my whole journey and my diagnosis and even the treatment that, you know, I was so into the natural side of things I didn't want to do. I'd read all the books, I'd seen all the documentaries, you know, how bad is chemo? How bad is radiation? It's just going to make you get cancer again. So I was completely anti-conventional treatment. I totally didn't want to do it. Um, if you'd asked me back then, you're going to, in a few months time, you're going to go through chemotherapy and radiotherapy. I would have said, no way. Like mm. you couldn't pay me to do that. Um, but nevertheless, it's a completely different story when you're faced with it. Of course. Um, and all the pressure that comes along with it from family, from the doctors, the surgeons, everyone telling you you're going to die, you know, all that fear that comes along with cancer. Anyway, so in some sense, I did kind of cave and I did end up doing it mostly because of the pressure from my family. Um, we had just lost my dad three months prior to my diagnosis had a sudden heart attack one day to the next. So that obviously didn't help. And that made them so scared of losing me as well. So I totally understand why they were so driven for me to have the treatment. Plus they don't really know anything about the other side of yeah. it all. Even though I tried my best to, you know, get them to talk to integrative medicine doctors, my functional medicine nutritionist who I was seeing, um, you know, I even got one of those German clinic, the head medical director of a German clinic to Skype with us in Hong Kong, just so that my brother and my mom could speak to a proper, you know, head of a German clinic. None of that worked. They still, you know, they were like, no, just, you know, go through the treatment, you know, we'll pay for it. It's fine. Just do it. Because all of this, I kind of I'd prepared myself for it when I was going through the diagnosis, which at first the, the doctors had thought it was benign um, because the tumor was so large, but I had no other symptoms apart from um, having two seizures. And after a second seizure, you're classified as epileptic. So mm -hmm. I had to have the brain scan. So that's actually what led to my diagnosis. Um, and because I kind of, I'd watched so many documentaries, I, I knew that the minute that I had the surgery, I'd be put on this conveyor belt and, you know, just, you know, line me up, take me through the chemotherapy and the radiotherapy. I saw it all coming. And so I actually prepared a written letter for my surgeon just to say, you know, if I'm incapacitated at the time of surgery, I do not consent to having chemotherapy and radiotherapy. This is how much I was so anti <laughs> it all. And I knew I had to take extreme measures just in case um, it came to it. But um, because, you know, we, my family had been through so much in the month leading up to that, you know, the, when the surgeon told my mom and brother, look, you know, we did a biopsy during the surgery, it's turned out to be a grade three, 
know, it's very aggressive. The likelihood of it coming back is really high if she doesn't have the treatment. And so that was just, you know, too much for them, you know. And so I totally understand the pressure that then they put on me. Um, and so I just, you know, I didn't want to fight with my family anymore. That was probably the most stressful part of the whole scenario and that whole, that whole six months was the fighting day in, day out, them wanting me to do the treatment, me not wanting to do it. And just in the end, I felt the stress just bubbling under my skin. I couldn't sleep. And then, of course, I knew that that in itself is, you know, enough to bring a tumor back. So I was like, okay, not helping myself here. So let's just cut my losses. Let's do the treatment. Family's going to be happy. I can then do everything in my power that I've researched to mitigate any of the damage that I'm so scared or worried about. And so I kind of just, you know, let go and just accepted, look, fine, going to do the treatment, but there's so much I can do at the same time. And my nutritionist, even he, though he wanted me to do all natural, he also accepted. And he said, well, let's just go for it and support you in the best way that we can whilst you go through the treatment. And um, so that's what we did. And, you know, as you'll all know, you know, the side effects, you know, pretty much go away when you're doing so much natural support on the side. So, you know, I didn't ever feel ill, really. I mean, there was two days after each chemo cycle that, you know, you basically got your head in the toilet and you don't go out for two days but I could time it, you know, I knew exactly which days of the month those would be. So I didn't have to, I didn't plan anything. So yeah, I didn't really find it, you know, it wasn't such a horrible treatment process. I mean, worst part of it really is just um, the hair falling out from the radiotherapy. I mean, that's the only part that makes you realize I actually have got cancer. Mm. Apart from that, I never really felt like I had cancer. It was all just kind of like a weird documentary that I was watching but this time it was me in it rather than watching it someone else go through it Um, how do you now Julie about that decision to 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 go with the chemo and and the radio with the pressure from your family and how do you feel about that decision now that you've come through it yeah well now obviously it's difficult because I meet a lot of people who want to go all natural and I and you know they're very against the conventional treatments and I'm I have to say to them, I was exactly the same, but you know, the research is showing that this integrated approach actually is showing to have better outcomes mm-hmm. and quality of life is so good. And yeah. I can't say anything because I felt so great through the whole process and I've never felt healthier mm-hmm. and happier in my life. And so I can't ever say that what I did ended up doing was the wrong thing because I'm living you know, the best that I think I could have ever, I'll never be able to go back and say, had I done all natural, I would have done so well. I can't, I won't ever know, which is annoying sometimes, but then that was just a silly, that's a silly way of thinking, I think. So I do encourage people definitely to just consider doing both and take the best of both worlds, really. Yeah. And I think that's something that we found on, on, on these podcasts that, it is the best of both worlds, you know, it, it's natural can do so much, but you know, the allopathic side can do so much as well. And it's just, it's marrying the two best bits together, isn't it? Exactly. And I just really see it as a, you know, the natural side supporting the inside. And then we've got the conventional really, you know, beating the crap out of it from the outside. So you're, 
you know, winning on both sides, really. I like the analogy, beating the crap out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, despite how stressful coming to that decision was, I think for me, it's it was the best decision in the end. And that's how I really feel everything happens in this life just the way it was meant to. And even at the time, if you can't, so stressed that you can't even see that, but it's only looking back and with, you know, with hindsight that you can. But um, yeah, I, I tell that to everybody. I think it's also really enlightening maybe for people to hear this, that you took the time to make that decision because a lot of people are not given the time to make a decision or even told there's a decision to make. Um, you know, it, you're going to go and do this and that's it. End of, you know, you lose, your, you lose control. Whereas you, because of all the research you've done and the book that you, you've read, you, you came at it from a completely different angle and therefore took a little bit of time to make a decision that was right for you and your family. Yeah, and it's funny that you come up into the timing part is a huge part, I think, of my recovery because, as you said, most patients from diagnosis, some people only have, what, two days sometimes before they've got a surgery or they start chemotherapy or radiotherapy. And um, again, I was so lucky. So after my second seizure, that's when I was diagnosed. That's the CT scan found the tumor. And then it was only because I went for a second opinion um, from a private doctor, a surgeon. And he said, you know, you can, because a public hospital has said, you know, it's such a big tumor. You haven't got any other symptoms apart from these two seizures you're probably fine to go back to Paris, go back for, to work for three months, come back at Christmas to Hong Kong, and then we'll do a biopsy at that point. And then my family and I were like, mm, not sure we like the idea of me walking around and flying with a tumor the size of a grapefruit in my brain. Wow. wow. Um, wow. That big, yet they wanted to like oh, keep it in there and just biopsy it in, just in December. So we're talking, this was September when I was diagnosed and then the private surgeon who said you know better to, I'd recommend you to have it removed as soon as possible and so we agreed on that but luckily as soon as possible for him was only six weeks later because he was traveling for a month and I said well he was flying to the U.S. and I said well can we do it six weeks later so you've got two weeks to get over your jet lag so I don't really want you going <laughs> my brain was feeling slightly tired thank you very much yeah <laughs> fabulous yeah so I was so fortunate. So I had six weeks from diagnosis before my surgery even. And I had immediately Googled functional medicine practitioner Hong Kong. And I was so lucky that the first clinic that came up was a clinic where I saw my nutritionist. And so from the get-go, I had, you know, a good solid month of, you know, changing my diet. He got me onto a really radical, you know, low-carb diet, like nutritionally dense, juicing, you know, lots of liver, um, you know, it was really full on. Uh, but I had, and then supplements, and we did a lot of testing. So really, I got to a really strong physical point, you know, I'd lost loads of weight, because obviously, eating so healthily, you generally lose a lot of weight. So everyone thought that that was the cancer and that whatever I was doing, you know, he was killing me because I'm losing too much weight. But I felt so strong and I kept telling people like, yes, I look like really skinny and emaciated, but I'm telling you, I feel super strong. And I really think that benefited me 
And obviously I was on, you know, quite a high dose of anti-seizure medication at that point. And, you know, one of the side of main side effects, you know, some people will gain weight on it, but a lot of people will lose weight on it. So I'm like, it might not even be the diet that's made me lose weight. It could also be the drug that I'm on. Um, so that's also a factor. But anyway, by the time the surgery came along, you know, I felt really strong and fit. You know, I was only in the hospital for about a week. And then I came home and then because you have to let the scars heal before you can have any radiotherapy. And that was the next stage of treatment. You know, I had another four weeks to continue on this regime and all the supplements and just, you know, building up strength again, but like nutritionally. So from the core of every cell, you know, really building myself up again. So imagine all that time before I even start treatment. Okay. The surgery in between, but still, um, you know, I think that was such a gift. Yeah. 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 Majorly like hardly anyone gets that amount of time to, you know, strengthen themselves up. Were you living in Paris or in Hong Kong when you, where were you when you had your surgery? Uh, I was in Hong Kong. I was working in Paris and then my father actually died while he was on holiday in France. And then we flew back to Hong Kong to have his memorial there. And that's where I had my second seizure and I was diagnosed. And so then I had my surgery in Hong Kong. And actually I did my first, the first part of treatment radiotherapy and the chemotherapy in Hong Kong. And then I flew back to Paris to have the six months of chemotherapy so I could kind of work at the same time. So you did carry on with some work during your treatment? Yes, but I was very lucky because my boss was amazing and I kind of started with the company when it was a real, just when it was a baby. And so, you know, I could be really flexible and you know, not do very much. So it was really great and get paid at the same time. So that was a real godsend. Yeah, it's a nice yeah, boss. I was really it's lucky. Yeah, yeah. Really, really and lucky. Did you find the, the, the process that you had been through made you reevaluate your job? Because you said earlier how stressful it was and it was 24-7. And did it make you reevaluate that at all or not? It just made me realize how much I didn't like my job anymore um, and that I needed to change. And then having that time off and being able to just concentrate on me and just getting better, that just gave me so much time to then do more research. And obviously, you know, I was doing all these tests. I was changing my diet. I was doing all these active things that I'd read about in all the research I'd done over the years that this is what helps people with cancer survive you know I'd read all the long survivor books you know interviews with people who have you know radical remission cases Anita Morjani's um, Dying to Be Me you know I'd read all those books saying what are these people who are long-term survivors what are they doing like really analyzing everything and just making sure that I brought that into my daily routine like all of those things mind body detox everything and um, isn't it amazing how, um, and I see it a lot, you know, with, with uh, my clients that they change their diet and they, yes, they have cancer, but they actually say to you, I feel the best I've felt. Mm. You know, I've, I've got so much energy. I feel great. Yes, of course, there are challenges if they're going through treatment, but, you know, they still feel really well. Yeah. And I couldn't believe how well I felt. And actually, most people, I mean, it was difficult because other people just saw like the bald head you know, that's all they saw. They All they saw was, you know, I'd lost so much weight. So it was a little bit tricky because other people 
um, I, I saw how people reacted to me, but that was completely different to how I actually felt. Were you influenced at all by those reactions from other people? Did that have an effect on you? Because you seem to be quite a grounded individual. Yeah, I mean, there's always a bit of vanity in all of us. So, <laughs> um, a little bit, but I was really lucky at the time. I was um, the boyfriend I was I had was probably the most supportive person in the whole world, and so he never made me feel for a second that you know I was any different to before. So I was really lucky. So can you tell us what you did after your treatment? So when your treatment finished, what were sort of the main steps you took to regain your health? Not that you've lost it, but you know, right. <laughs> the remedial works afterwards. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, as you said, so I never, I didn't feel ill ever apart from, you know, two days each month. So after the last cycle of chemo, this is now um, summer 2016. And... I had made the decision to move back to London because I wanted to start a nutritional therapy course and I'd looked in Paris and unfortunately France is quite old fashioned. So they're very in with naturopathy and I found a few courses that, you know, I could book, you know, do iridology or naturopathy, but it wasn't quite what I was looking for through the years of research. You know, I kind of found functional medicine and you know, getting to the root cause and all of that, and that really spoke to me. And so I wanted to do that. I knew that. And my practitioner back in Hong Kong, who'd you know gotten me through you know the hardest part, you know, he was trained in functional medicine. So I'd learned kind of on along the way those principles, and I was desperate to learn that. And so um, when I decided to move back to the UK, and then I went to you know a few open days, you know those really only CNM and ION in London. So I ended up going to ION and then, um, and I started that October, I had to do the science access course. So I hadn't done science for A-level. So just to get on the course, I had to do, you know, all the science for a year. So that was, you know, a few months after finishing treatment. And it was quite nice because it was, you know, it's a flexible part-time course so it was quite easy to maintain all my detoxification and that's all I focused on at that point so because I'd read so much about you know the damage that treatment can do once I'd finished it all I wanted to think about was how can I get all of these chemicals and all the radiation out of me as soon as possible so I just started doing everything I could rebounding coffee enemas exercising infrared sauna like sweating it all out you know you name it just anything I could do and maintaining the juicing regime maintaining you know the diet the supplements for at least you know two years following treatment just because my main fear and even before I'd got cancer my my theory was why do people so many people get recurrences my theory is that, you know, they've had the treatment, but it's still going around in their body afterwards. And if you're not actively doing stuff to get that out, well, of course, there's that, you know, that poison essentially is just sitting somewhere in the body. It's going to cause problems later on. So, you know, I was so adamant about being proactive in detoxing. Um, also did ozone therapy. I went to stay with a lady out in Andover. Um 
and she had a B&B, but she also had this uh, transdermal ozone therapy that I would do five days a week just for half an hour every day. So I stayed there for a month just to detox. And she had a, you know, a slow juicer so I could juice every day while I was there. It was the countryside so I could get loads of organic food. Um, and then I came back to London, started the course at ION and just tried to maintain this lifestyle as much as possible. And then I just graduated six months ago. So after four years of study. Congratulations. Um, yeah, congratulations. So yeah, that's a really, really great thing. Um, so now it's really just trying to maintain work health balance, I guess, you know, because I don't want to, you know, lose my routine and everything that I've built up over the years. But I also am really passionate about helping others now go through the same journey, it, not for brain cancer per se, but just all types of cancer. For me, it's all starting from the same root cause. So if we can you know, try and rejig that direction of where it's going, then hopefully, yeah, we can do as best we can stop it or at least, you know, do as much as we can naturally, but actually integrating it with conventional treatments. So do you now want, on your fabulous graduation now, do you want to practice as a nutritional therapist? Is that where you're going? Is that... That's where I'm going and it's where I am currently, I'm happy to say. I've been really lucky because at, when I was a student, so when I was in, well, first, when I met Linda, that was because I was very conscious that I didn't want to graduate and just have nothing to do, nowhere to go. And so mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to work whilst I was, you know, getting some hands-on experience whilst I was still a student. So working at HIFAS, that brought a lot of knowledge, you know, with the mushroom therapy, which was amazing. You know, I met so many, you know, people like Linda that we were working with and a whole bunch of lovely ladies that we still, you know, have a really lovely group. So that was an amazing experience. But then after um, we all stopped working for HIFAS, you know, I knew I still needed to keep going. I wanted to have more, you know, live experience with, you know, seeing how integrative doctors are working with patients. So I actually created a list of practitioners who, you know, I would want to work with. And I just emailed my CV with my story. Fantastic. And yeah. um, a few of them got back, a few of them didn't. But a lovely doctor named Dr. Rajendra Sharma mm -hmm. did get back to me. And I started working um, with him now in yeah, 2019. So well, coming up to two years now. Wow. wow. Also, you know, it also did a phlebotomy course, didn't you? You're just so focused. Like, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Well, yes, the phlebotomy was because, you know, I didn't have IV chemotherapy. I'm very lucky I didn't have to go through that because I have really shockingly bad veins for taking blood. But because I did a lot of testing, so a lot of blood tests, and I did IV vitamin C, so all requiring a vein, you know, I just hated the fact that, you know, every time I would have to have my blood taken, it would take like five different, five times, you know, it felt like a pincushion. And um, I just really wanted to train so that, you know, make someone else's experience less, you know, traumatic. Um, but also, you know, where I was treated in Hong Kong for all the natural stuff, my nutritionist was in a clinic. The clinic's actually called Life Clinic. It's quite a nice name. Um, but, you know, I would see my nutritionist in the clinic. I would, you know, he would request some tests. I would have my blood taken, give my urine, you know, 
do all of that in the clinic. The results come back. I see my nutritionist. Then I can have some IV vitamin C in the same clinic. You know, it's all in one place. And that's what, you know, got me so, you know, reared up. Like, this is what I want to do. I want to be that nutritionist in a clinic like that, where it's all in one place. And the patient just comes and sees you and can have all these treatments on the side. Um, then I came to the UK and started <laughs> studying. And I was like, huh. Where are all these clinics that I want to apply to? I was so disappointed. I was like, and it was the, I only realized like when I started looking for part-time work, you know, where can I get some experience? Then I realized, wow, there really aren't these kind of clinics here. And so I said, well, if I'm going to be a practitioner seeing people with cancer, I want to provide as much as possible a service as close to that as I can get without having a brick and mortar practice. So if a, well, now with COVID, you can't even see patients really, but if a patient, if a client was to come and see me, then at least I could take the blood for them then and there after we've talked about the test, send it off for them. I get the results back, I go through the results, you know, just, I would have to find a clinic obviously to work out of, but that was what the service I wanted to offer so that, the client wouldn't have to receive the test kit at home, try and find a phlebotomist somewhere that can take the blood, not even talking about centrifuging the blood, you know, with someone, which is, you know, such a difficult process. And because I'm working with Dr. Sharma's patients a lot, you know, I'm the woman, I'm the person who like is on the phone to them, explaining how to do the test, where they can find a phlebotomist. Usually it's me in the end, if they're in London, and I can do a home visit or something but it's so stressful for them. And these people are really ill. And the last yeah. thing they need is to have to faff around trying to find a place to have their blood taken so that they can do the test to get to the bottom of what's wrong with them. And imagine yeah. being out, out of, outside of London. It's even more difficult yeah. for us to find somebody to... Yeah. to I do. bet. Yeah. yeah. It's a real challenge, for sure. So you've got your... You're working with Dr. Sharma and you're doing other things as well, aren't you? You're, you've got your fingers in lots of pies. Can we hear? And it's really inspiring to see all the different things and the drive and energy you have, I'm sure, for a variety of people, anyone listening to this. So can you talk a little bit more about the different activities you're involved with in addition to your business? And Yes, I don't know about a lot of things that I'm doing. I mean, I've as I said at the start, so I volunteer for an um, integrative um, cancer charity called Yes to Life, mm -hmm. which I was introduced to back in 2017. They had, used to have annual conferences, live conferences. So before COVID, we could actually go and listen to amazing speakers that they would invite. And, um, you know, I'd been in London for about just over a year and I went to the first conference and at this point, you know, I'd come to the UK after being living and working in Paris, and I didn't really know anyone, you know, who was doing the kind of things that I was doing. You know, I was such an advocate and telling everyone I knew about it, but I didn't really know if, you know, this was a big thing that people are doing. Um, but then going to that conference, I just, you know, was sitting next to people, heard what pe the speakers were talking about and it was just like all this and all the stands you know and all the people selling stuff and it was like oh my god there's a whole world here of people that are doing you know other people do coffee enemas to detox and you know take you know hundreds of supplements every day and it's not weird 
And it was, you know, everything that I was doing that was so extreme in so many ways to so many people was suddenly a part of, you know, this crowd's life and everyone knew what I was talking about. And, and it was just the recognition when you spoke to someone, you could see it in their eyes that like it wasn't a foreign thing what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. That was really amazing. And so after that, I knew that this is a charity that I need to be part of somehow. And then I found out that they actually do have a helpline of the charity. So anyone, whether you've just been diagnosed, whether you know, you're a caregiver of someone with cancer, a family member even, anyone who just needs to talk to someone about their relative, anyone. And we're just there to point people in the right direction, you know, make them feel that you know, what they're doing is recognized, there is evidence for it because so many people have heard things. They're not sure if this is something they should do or if they're seeing a practitioner paying a lot of money to do certain therapies, but they're still not 100% sure that that's actually, you know, something they should be doing. Then we can at least just give that reinforcement. Like, you know, you're doing a great thing for yourself and just to give them that encouragement that I think so many people need when they're stepping out of the usual NHS box of treatment and support. And so I've been trained and then I've been on that helpline now since 2018. Um, and that's just been an amazing service that I can do on the side of, you know, working with Dr. Sharma's patients and then now having my own clients, um, which is it's just like a dream come true. I'm really like living my dream. Feels really great to be able to say that. And how do you feel now health-wise are you are you still um have you gone back to the starbucks have you gone back to any of that or are you happy now <laughs> it's so difficult to go back to that once you know mm. how bad it is i mean for a lot of things you know there's a lot of healthy alternatives to the really you know bad things but um you know i really try and stick to as healthy a diet as possible there's some things that just because of time restraints. I wish I could juice every single morning, but I just don't have the time for that, you know, because my priority still is trying to detox every day because I know I live in central London. There's so many things out of my control that I'm taking in, that I'm breathing in, that I can't really help because at the moment I live here and that's that. Um, so my priority still for them now are getting my coffee enemas in. And, and I used to be. So do hyperbaric oxygen therapy, didn't you? I used to before lockdown. So I was doing that once a week, and then because they've closed down, um, I've still wanted to maintain some form of oxygen therapy. And so as my Christmas present, I've just invested in a, a rectal ozone insufflation therapy kit. Wow, which Never is essentially <laughs> well, it's essentially ozone therapy but a kit that you can have at home and that after the enema, so once you're all cleaned out, you can then administer ozone therapy, ozone rectally. Wow. Um, yeah, and that's just a deep cleanse of your gut, your liver. It goes straight up the hepatic portal vein, up to the liver, boosts everything, oxygenates the whole system. Um, so I've only been doing that for a few weeks now, but I love love it always experimenting with new things and how do you feel afterwards after Great. you do that 
Yeah, I mean, it's um, a tag on to my enema mm -hmm. routine. But yeah, so far, so good. And your good news, I saw in one of your posts that you are five years clear am, last yep, November. Exactly, last November. So that was huge relief. The only issue with brain cancer is the common time frame for recurrences is five to seven years. Right. And so I think with other cancers, once you're past the five-year mark, it's like, hip, hip, hooray. Um, and it's always in the back of my mind, well, this is probably the time that I need to be the most diligent so that I can get to 10 years and then I'll be like, okay, maybe I can relax it's a bit. Like you are incredibly diligent and you're doing everything you can to make sure that you remain as healthy as you can. So I try my best, yeah. I have a colleague who's um, invested in an ozone machine ah. and she's bought a, sounds a bit weird, she's bought a, a camper van and she puts it in there, she's kitted it out and ah. it's hyperbaric or oxygen ozone machine lady oh wow yeah um and she goes she goes all over actually for cl um client and cancer clients just can get in there if they you know so many people out our way down in the southwest we don't have access to those kinds of things so it's really, really yeah i guess mobile therapies are going to be the new thing i think just getting yeah. them to people definitely that's awesome yeah, yeah. I have a question for you all, actually, as seeing clients. Do you find that your clients are coming to you as informed as Jilly was? Because, you know, if Jilly had come to you, she would have said, right, I know all of these things. This is what I want to do. Do you find you have clients that are like that or is it a variety? It's a mixed bag. Okay. Some people and some people just starting from 0, 0.0, just been diagnosed. So, yeah, no, I don't think anybody says informed as Jilly. <laughs> if anybody came to me who was as informed as Jilly, I'd run a mile. <laughs> well, to be honest, when I was diagnosed, I'm just thinking back to the first consult I had with my nutritionist. And I do remember just, you know, everything that I had read it kind of flew out the window. And I was so just hanging on everything that he was suggesting that I do and just taking it as I complete trust basically. And I think that's really important if the person sitting in front of you can trust everything you're saying. And that's what I really like having gone through cancer and the treatment that I find a lot of my clients and most of my ones that I'm not getting from Dr. Sharma, but the ones that start with me from a referral through a friend, mostly, um, they tend to absolutely know zilch about mm -hmm. anything. And it's really just an education journey. And because I think they know my story, or at least that's how, how I introduce, like before we even start working together, um, I think that helps so much in them just trusting what I'm saying from the get-go. And that's, yeah, that's been really lucky, I think. I, I think sometimes it's also difficult that you can be too over-informed because there's so many resources now. Mm. And, but, and so many contradictory resources yeah. as well. That, you know, people sometimes come in and say X, Y, Z because they've just read a piece on some browser somewhere. Yeah. And <laughs> you know from your research that actually X, Y, Z is really not a good idea. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's quite, I think, I find it quite difficult sometimes. And I, I also find, I think I said ages ago when we first started the Cancer Talks, um, you know, clients come and have seen numerous other complementary therapists who say things that they probably shouldn't say. And, 
that makes it sometimes even more difficult because the client has potentially been promised lots of things and not been delivered. So I know nutrition is not in that bag and we will all work really, really hard to make sure it's not in that bag. But I do see a lot of clients that come along who are quite disappointed. Yeah, and I'd say that's really tough if they've come from another practitioner because then that means that their trust in practitioners in general, if every person is saying a different thing, I mean, as a patient, that just feels that's so... It's yeah. even more complicated because then it's like, oh my god, who do I trust now? I'm not mm. supposed to trust what I'm reading in the literature, but then I, you know, I can't trust that person. And now this person's saying something different. I mean, that just makes it really hard. Um, I mean, I've never, I've only seen one nutritionist since this whole started, and I think that just simplified everything. Yeah. yeah. Are you still in touch? Absolutely. I keep t- asking him, like, come back to the UK. <laughs> he's, he's stuck in Hong Kong. But he's English, so his roots are here. It's just how to get him back here. Can I ask about your supplement regime? Is it still as so vast or have you, have you streamlined it? So I'm, I've gone to extreme ways this whole last few years, actually. Whilst I've, you know, been in confident remission, I should be letting go of the supplements. And I did manage last year, no, sorry, 2019, end of 2019, I discovered, I actually sat in on a cancer clinic of um, Dr. Nigel Eccles, on the the natural doctor on Harley Street. And every two months he runs a cancer clinic with a Czech doctor, Dr. Michael Kuchera, who's developed this mitochondrial formula and um, he, I think, in practice uses it with cancer patients without any other supplements because it's all about optimizing the system and the autonomic nervous system, um, which is very much linked to our mitochondria. And so I started on his therapy after seeing all the amazing you know, patients that were coming in with stage four cancers who you know, couldn't tell they were cancer patients at all. You know, they looked so healthy and vibrant and... Um, but it turned out a lot of them were taking a lot of other things on the side, including, you know, medicinal mushrooms, you know, the classic vitamin D, vitamin C, things that, you know, in my mind are just like the basics that we should all be taking, you know, probiotic, all, you know, all of that. But so when I started the therapy, I thought, great, now I can just let go of all those supplements that I'm spending hundreds on every month. And I did for about the first three months on the formula, I just stopped everything um, the point being, you know, had those supplements done so much for me, why was my result on the heart rate variability test that they use to know how much of the formula you need? You know, why wasn't that, you know, at the most optimal if all those supplements were doing what they were supposed to? So then I was like, okay, that makes sense. So let's ditch everything. And I'll just go on the formula. And lo and behold, everything did stay, you know, improve after three months without the other stuff so it made me think definitely made me think but as time's gone on now little by little so many <laughs> supplements have slowly crept back in or then I've learned about another one um, a friend of mine is working for a fulvic acid company in Canada so it's like oh I'll try that because he's talking to me about all the benefits and uh, so now I'm back at square one really not as bad as how I was but um still too many than I'd like to be taking to be honest but um 
Yeah, my fiance is always getting to me like, I thought we were going off the supplements every month. (laughs) I think it's difficult to let go, isn't it? Because we we don't know what what is making a difference. And I I think that's that's the hard bit. I know we discussed it last week together because Mm. sometimes it's, you know, when you see clients who have loads of supplements and now you want to to maybe shrink those supplements down, but there's an attachment to them because you don't know what is going to make a difference. Yeah, no, it's definitely, I mean, my plan for this year is to really try and get down to just a basic group of supplements. You know, I think I still want to stay on the mitochondrial ones Mm. just because they make sense to me. And I'm literally doing, keeping the things that stick are the ones that make sense to me really. But yeah, I think the ideal protocol, I don't know yet. I don't know, vitamin C, vitamin D, B6 complex. And also I did, um, you know, a whole, uh, comprehensive genomics profiling for myself so you know I know I kind of want to get that really down so that I'm really eating for my genetics um, you know supplementing what I really need based on my genetics like is that the most important thing I don't know Mm. but maybe that's a a guide as where I should be going and the other stuff you know is almost less important and then bring in nutritional therapy when needed. But if I can maintain optimal health with, you know, a minimal amount, then that's what I'm trying to get to. Genetic testing. Did you get that as part of your treatment or did you have to do that privately? Actually, no. So my nutritionist, I'll call him Miles from now on because that's his name. Miles just tested my liver detoxification. So my comp snips um, at the time so that showed up that you know I did need extra support in detoxification which then helped me understand the importance of me doing the coffee enemas and juicing and things that helped that pathway and also really helped me be so motivated after treatment because if I have that genetic weakness imagine all that the toxins built up from the chemo you know, and the radiation, you know, I'll need help clearing that so much more than another person. So I'm, you know, really put it on myself that these things need to become part of my routine. Do you think if people, she says, looking into the future, could be offered some form of genetic alongside their cancer testing, it would help them see what they maybe should be doing to help themselves as well through their journey? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that would be the dream but also but then that has to come along with someone who can help them interpret all of that yeah um, yeah yeah so I'm trying to carve a role for nutritional therapists here aren't I <laughs> <laughs> um, but the report I used so after I finished treatment and um, I'm sure we've all heard of Dr. Nasha Winters from the US she recommends this genomic test by a company called Nutrition Genome in the US and so I've started using that and their report is so patient friendly in my opinion if you stick to the summary parts of it and they even give you a personalized shopping list like a grocery shopping list based on your genomics um, and all your SNPs so you can literally bring that to the supermarket shows you what to uh, what to choose more of and what to choose less of and so that gives the person you know that's such good, a useful tool, which mm. I don't think any other, I don't know other companies if they do that, but that's such a practical tool to come along with your report. 
and I think the report is quite easy to understand as from a patient's point of view. I mean, for me, if I order it for my clients, I still will have a full breakdown of it, you know, on video with them. For me, that's the one that I really like. And it will also tell you what test blood tests and tests to keep monitoring based on your that's profile it. as well. Really helpful. Fabulous. And you've done a course on the mitochondria, haven't you? You've become much more well-versed and done some specific studying on the mitochondria, right? Well, in, in order to um, be able to prescribe the mitochondrial supplements from Dr. Kuchera, you have to become a practitioner that's done the training. Um, mm. So I did that just before I did the phlebotomy training. Right. So that was a really intense semester. I bet. <laughs> um yeah and but i'm so glad because that's become a real base of a lot of my recommendations for my cancer clients but i'm so, tending to use it alongside the functional medicine approach so i am kind of steering it away and just integrating the best of everything that i've kind of come across really and not just sticking to one protocol it's just taking the bits that make sense um make the most sense and just to build you know, really comprehensive um, protocol that's also driving the root cause, you know, trying to reverse that process. And this is from the person who says that you haven't been very busy because you're a registered nutritional therapist, you're a functional medicine practitioner, you're an integrative health coach, you're still taking care of your own health and well-being. So you maintain that. And now you're a practitioner, what would you, what is it? And you've studied mitochondrial health as well, and you're supporting a charity, the charity Yes to Life. So yeah, yeah that's not that much, is it? No. Okay. And you're starting your own business. So yeah. yeah. That's probably how, how, how do you manage actually, how do you manage stress? Because we know that's really important. So what do you do for yourself? Uh, so luckily my fiance is loves me so much and just loves spending so much time with me that we have a we try and stick to a rule that we stick to working hours so you know he works you know eight till five I try to clock off as soon as close to five o'clock as possible so that we will have every evening spent together not working I think that has saved me in a lot of ways from I think if I didn't have him I'd be on my phone or on my computer every evening, you know, not getting the rest and not switching off, you know, the way I know I should. So I owe it to him really to keeping me straight and keeping weekends free as much as possible. And your cat, cats are so good for de-stressing. And my cat, although whilst I was going through chemo, she was not like the cancer cat that I thought, oh, she's great. She's gonna really like, calm me down. She's probably the no. worst behaved that she's ever been at that point in my life. So she wasn't that helpful. Oh, <laughs> she's getting older now, so she's a bit calmer. What haven't we talked about? What would you guys like to ask or what would you like to talk about that we haven't addressed with Julie? I'm quite good. I think we've got a lot of really amazing information there. It's, you know, it, it's like... It's like the last two ladies that we spoke to. I think every time I meet, see, talk to a cancer survivor, it's just the most humbling experience because they're yeah. such strong people who've got such drive. And um, 
Yeah, I mean, look at you now, all the stuff that you're now doing. Who'd have thought that when you were back being a, in the fashion world in Paris? Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. I will ask you, um, that's what I generally ask everybody who comes on the podcast, what, what did you learn about yourself from this? Ah, that's a, that is a good question. Um, yeah, I guess the main things that I almost had to change. So in the fashion industry, my job was all about multitasking. Um, doing a thousand things all at the same time and being as fast as possible and that's what was good you know you're really good if you could do that um, and that's probably after the brain surgery I did have to retrain a lot of things mostly memory but also just yeah very short-term memory and spatial awareness so really not knowing if I've where I've left something if I need to take pick it up later like just you know a few minutes later I wouldn't know where it is um and just retraining myself I mean I remember times that um after the surgery I would you know pay for a meal in a restaurant wallet out on the table phones on the table all my supplements on the table because I would walk around with a massive tub that you could I would pre-fill all my supplements for the week and so that I could just carry this thing in my handbag and so everything would just be on the table and then I would just get up and leave the restaurant not realizing that everything was on the table like literally just had no idea that that was happening and then it would only be you know if I'm then halfway across town looking for my supplements looking for my phone I'm like oh my god where is it and so that would happen a few times so in the end I bought attachments to everything. So my phone had like a extendable leash on it, let's say my wallet did so that if I got it from the table, it would all come with me. So I literally couldn't like, leave anything anymore. But obviously I couldn't live forever like that. That was ridiculous. So yeah. At some point it really just took, it took about six months, I think, before things started getting a bit easier. And of course we all have moments where we just, you know, forget stuff, but we do I'd have to hope it's in my head now if you're leaving a, a table in a restaurant with all these little things coming behind you <laughs> no I know I was thinking the same thing you make quite image. a scene <laughs> um, but just learning to slow down that's what ended up helping me like practicing yeah. mindfulness and just being okay with being slow and concentrate on one thing at a time mm -hmm. that's probably the hardest thing that I struggle with with my fiance who's a do everything at a thousand times a second um so yeah just being okay with being slow and it's not all about multitasking anymore even though i do have to multitask quite a lot but i try and just concentrate on one thing at a time see i, I think I've, i have to learn from you and stick to that 5 p.m time mm -hmm. yeah you do need to do that Linda. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. So Thirded, fourth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just super hard. Yeah, well, especially because my morning routine I wanted to keep. So I really, I haven't even yet to be able to. This is also, you know, beginning of the year, New Year's resolutions, but just getting my exercise in like I used to. Um, you know, if I dawdle for a second, you know, second turns into a minute, turns into three minutes, turns into 10 minutes. So I have to be really focused on my morning routine. Otherwise the whole morning has gone, but I still haven't yet been able to tweak it even more so I can get, you know, just my 10 minutes of rebounding in there before mm. I start my day. It's just everything yeah. just piles up. I love my rebounder too. I, absolutely. Yeah. I'm a, we're all rebounders. <laughs> I read you you got a, you're a belly con lady. I love it. I, I had to it. save up so much and I'll just do this for you. So I, when I first got a rebounder, I 
you know, funds were limited. So mm. I knew a Bellicon was what I needed, mm -hmm. but I was cheap and I got one of those metal sprung yeah. rebounders and I paid for it because I was so adamant. I did rebounding every single day for two years and I completely messed up my hip bones. Like mm. I had to go see, to the point where I couldn't walk when I was on holiday in Australia oh, um, one year and I was visiting a friend and I had to go find a local physiotherapist to like help me walk again. And it was basically this repeated, you know, on these metal strings. Mm. Um, and it was so bad. So after that, you know, I couldn't even do exercise for about a year just to recover from it. Goodness. And then I finally found, you know, invested in a belly con. They are worth the money. I love, um, absolutely. So no one make the mistake and be cheap. It's just not yeah. worth it. It is worth the investment, I have to say. I've got arthritis and it's just brilliant for my creaky, achy bones. So it's lovely. I'm so pleased that it's helped you too. So, absolutely. well, if there's nothing else that anyone has to add or ask, do you have anything you'd like to ask us, Jilly? Not really, just so grateful that you guys have started this podcast because the more that um, people getting diagnosed have a resource to listen to experts and patients who have gone through it, you know, each of our stories is going to resonate with someone. Yeah. You know, even my story, it might not just be for brain cancer sufferers, but, you know, anyone going through it. Yeah. And it's just such an important thing that you're doing. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jilly. Thank you for being on. Thank you. Thank you. Well, folks, that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed sitting in and listening in to our conversation with Jilly. She is such an inspiring woman and has so much information to share. We'll be sure and provide information in the show notes so you can get in touch with Jilly or find out further information on the books that she talked about, as well as the charity Yes to Life. Also, if you'd like any details on how to get in touch with any of the Cancer Talk team members, our details will be provided in the show notes as well. Do keep in mind, if you or anyone has received a cancer diagnosis or is going through treatment, be sure that you seek advice from your healthcare practitioner before taking on or making any changes into your health regime. There are a couple of other things I'd like to ask you to do, and they are, if you haven't subscribed to our podcasts already, please do so, and or leave us a review, or share it with others that you think might find them of benefit. We'd like to thank you again for joining us, and here's wishing you all the very best of health. Bye for now. Bye.